Welcome to Success That Last, a podcast that seeks to have honest, candid conversations about the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we'll talk to a business owner, real estate investor, or industry consultant about their own experiences, observations, and insights as it pertains to that complicated topic of success. Welcome to Success That Lasts. Let's start uh, today's episodes with a quote from Steve Jobs. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in the future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down, and it has made all the difference in my life. I wanted to start with that quote because... In this moment in time, there's no shortage of bad news. Almost on a daily basis, we encounter some scary statistic or some trend that's unfavorable. As we record this podcast, unemployment currently stands at 14.7%. Media wants to make sure that you know that uh, unemployment hasn't been this strained or this high since the uh, Great Depression. So chances are as you're sitting there listening to this podcast as you envision the future There's a tremendous amount of anxiety, and you're probably in the midst of some level of adversity right now. And so that's why I'm excited for today's conversation with Ann Smith. In many ways, Ann's an accidental entrepreneur. As she sat there and found herself in this moment of transition in the depth of the financial crisis, she couldn't control the crisis per se, but she could control how she responded to it. The dots looking forward might not have made a tremendous amount of sense, but boy, did they make a ton of sense today looking back in hindsight. And we'll share that story. What was it like to start a business back in 2009? Somewhat accidentally, on the precipice of having your second child. Moreover, we'll talk to her about some of the insights she's gleamed around communication and public relations. Chances are COVID-19 has created no shortage of opportunities for you to stress test your communication aptitude. Whether it's internally with your employees and team or externally with key vendors or customers, communications now and in the future will be a primary ingredient of your long-term success. And speaking of success, of course, we'll have Anne unpack that complicated topic of success. As a wife, mother, business owner, daughter, friend, how has she come to understand what it means to be successful? And how does she juggle the competing priorities of how she's come to define success? And without further ado, let's jump into today's conversation with Anne Smith. Anne Smith, welcome to the podcast, Success at Last. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing really well. Excited for today's conversation. So I guess let's just start real quick with A-Word Smith. It's a uh, boutique communications firm, but help me better understand kind of day in, day out. What does that actually mean? What type of work are you guys doing for your clients? Well, we are primarily a public relations firm. Um, We specialize in thought leadership. So for us, that means really helping to elevate our clients and be seen as experts in their fields. Um, So we do a lot of the traditional PR sort of activity, media relations, speaker programs, award programs, um, social media management. Um, But we also do a lot of high level writing work. So we are in the habit of writing white papers, um, long-form perspective pieces, blogs, again, things that really kind of connect to that thought leadership um, space and help, you know, our clients get their thoughts out there to the folks that matter most. So help me understand then, so 
people are hiring you to help them better communicate their value proposition, kind of their secret sauce. And so your expertise is within PR. And so you're providing a framework maybe to tease out the secret sauce within their respective heads. But how does one go about doing that? Presumably, you wouldn't know more than the author. So kind of what's the process that's worked well for you guys? Yeah, we definitely don't claim to know more than our clients. That is for sure. But we are really good about getting smart about their businesses. We work with clients in all different types of industries. So nothing really scares us off. Um, Certainly, we have some that we specialize in more. But we're certainly really good about um, getting in there to your point, kind of teasing out what are the unique story angles, what are the key opinions, what are the areas where our clients can really have um, a unique um, voice, maybe in a really crowded market space. We do um, white space analyses to kind of, you know, really identify where can they have that sweet spot um, and then creating overarching themes and storylines and, um, you know, different Um, content topics, just depending on whatever the focus of their programs are. But um, yeah, really getting in there, um, teasing those pieces out, and then obviously working with the subject matter experts at our client organizations all the time, um, because we have to be able to interview them and and to gather that insight directly from them, because to your point, they are the, the true experts. And, you know, we may be able to help bring their ideas to light or help Um, you know, write things on their behalf, but um, obviously it all goes back to what's in their brain. So it does require really great partnership on both sides because we don't want to be just forcing ideas. They have to be their ideas and then be interested and bought into the program for it to really be successful. Interesting. So I would imagine that your industry is evolving and changing very quickly. I don't profess to have any deep expertise at all in what you're doing, but it feels as though there's a disintermediation (laughs) that's occurring that one's ability to create content is easier, faster, cheaper than maybe it's ever been, which might be creating a bit of an echo chamber. So when the world is getting super noisy and there's a lot of people that are clamoring for attention, what are some of the strategies that you found to be most effective helping your clients garner or earn the attention that they're aspiring for? Yeah, well, it definitely has changed a lot. Even since when I started the firm, which was in 2009, obviously just the media landscape has changed a lot. So, you know, it really does come down to making sure that the stories that we're wanting to tell are of value to whoever it is that we're trying to get them in front of. So if we're talking about media relations specifically, certainly there's the relationship that comes with a lot of PR professionals having connections at certain publications, but that's also kind of an old school way of thinking about it too. We don't all sit here with a Rolodex on our desk anymore that we can just flip through. Um, So it is also a matter of just knowing how to identify those right sources, how to build really smart stories, um, paying attention all the time to what's currently being said in our client industries, paying attention to what um, journalists and um, influencers are even talking about on social media. Um, There's just so many different ways to be engaging with them now. So it takes a lot of hands on deck to to be paying attention, to be really active so that we can get the right stories out to the right folks. Um, and then, you know, to your point on just the content and, and writing, um, yeah, it's you could definitely find people who can just write really well and, and put great words down on paper. But I think something that our team definitely brings to the table that is unique is that we're not just excellent writers, but we're also going to really think and challenge challenge our clients to, you know, kind of push them. It's not just about 
taking an intake form and writing something down that's great, but, you know, asking those hard questions, pushing back, doing research, um, having, you know, facts and, um, you know, outside sources that are supporting the arguments that our clients are wanting to make too. So definitely taking it a step further. If I'm a business owner and I'm looking at my current marketing team, how would I understand where I rank from a PR perspective, maybe where we're doing well and maybe where there's some unrealized opportunities? And I guess then ultimately, how would one measure the efficacy of their PR spend? Is there a way to measure that? Oh, well, that's like the, that's one of the more dreaded questions for a PR person because <laughs> PR Brand, can be really right. hard. It's probably pretty hard to yeah. quantify brand or some marketing or customer experience. I mean, it's probably part of a greater strategy, but I'm just curious. Exactly. Yeah, it definitely is. It's definitely something that's one touch point along that um, lead gen um, full engine. But, um, you know, we are in the habit of putting down metrics as it relates to our program. So if a client's hiring us and we put together a year-long strategic plan, you know, we are going to put down metrics as far as the type and number of media placements that we want to secure. Do we, are we going after, um, are we pitching editors and reporters to hopefully cover our clients in addition to us maybe doing contributed media where we're writing bylined articles on behalf of our clients where they are getting those broader thought leadership ideas out there, you know, and giving quantifiable results to each of those kind of buckets. Um, you know, are there a certain number of speaking engagements we're looking to secure? Um, some things like social media is a little bit easier to track because you can really measure engagement and some of the more fine-tuned numbers. Um, and obviously with media relations, you can kind of dig in to, you know, well, how many people did this reach and how did this even track um, traffic back to their websites? Um, but yes, I'm always very, if someone's like, hey, we want to launch our business or we want to put out a press release and they're hoping that that's going to, you know, put them through the stratosphere, then I get very nervous because I don't want them putting all their hopes and dreams just on PR. <laughs> it's uh, just a leg of the stool, part of a greater plan. People that know me know that I am the son of a West Point Army Ranger. And early in my childhood, I knew what the P's were, that proper prior planning prevented poor performance. And so I tried to prepare for our time today by reading up on you and listening to some other interviews you've done and podcasts you've done. And one of the stories that I stumbled into was maybe my favorite story about you so far. It's how Award Smith came to be. So it doesn't sound like it was mm. some macro strategic plan that was birthed in the playground of elementary school, that it was challenging <laughs> times, but maybe like some of the times that we're in right now, you know, sometimes some of the greatest opportunities yeah. are born out of adversity. So I guess, tell me a little bit about that, your entrepreneurial launch and how you found yourself in the seat that you are today, 10 plus years later. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So um, I, yeah, I did. I started the, the firm in March of 2009. So it was a crazy time then, um, just like it is now. Um, I didn't have aspirations of starting my own PR firm. Um, I am from an entrepreneurial family. My parents have their own business. So I definitely think being on this journey, like now it feels very natural and, um, and, you know, I think that it's probably always been in my blood and ingrained in me to, to do this. But yeah, it was it was a matter of circumstance. Um, 
we were, I was working um, internally as a marketing manager at the time. And um, prior to that, I'd always been in agency world, but I was, you know, in-house at a company. And then obviously the economy was taking a big hit and um, they had to make a lot of cost cutting um, decisions. And I was part of a group layoff and I was also eight months pregnant with my second daughter. And so, yeah, it wasn't an ideal time to be trying to to land a new job and be out job hunting. Um, but that organization immediately had me start um, contracting back for them because they still needed communications to be done for the organization. So that was just kind of the, that was the the starting point of it. And at the time I thought, okay, you know, this is, this is great. Maybe I can get a couple other clients and be bringing, you know, money into the household and, um, and really it just grew from there. So yeah, it was, it was, I was off and running, I guess. And I definitely was always excited to see what was around the corner. Um, always excited to see like who I might get connected with. Um, I feel really fortunate to have maintained a lot of great relationships over my career with former bosses and colleagues and, you know, a lot of people who I admire and who I worked with and who were so instrumental at that time in like forging connections for me. Um, and so, yeah, that was really the the impetus. And, um, you know, then it got to a point where it was becoming bigger than just me. And so I had to, you know, kind of make that decision of, do I say this is just good enough? And do I continue having this you know, really be centered on me or do I make that kind of critical next leap and decide to start um, bringing in other team members? And so it wasn't too much. It wasn't something I debated on too much, honestly, because again, I've just always kind of wanted to see what was next. Keep it going. I guess if I were to ever write a book, one concept that I would explore is a title called The Third Bucket, The Things I Didn't Know I Didn't Know. So I guess if you think back to all the important lessons and maybe some real world tuition that you play, paid over the last 10 plus years, if there was such thing as a time machine, what would you go back and tell yourself 10 plus years ago when you were starting the business that you've learned along the way? Oh my gosh. Well, I don't know. I've learned so much. I feel like I'm learning all the time and some of the things are big and then I, but I would say most of the things they aren't necessarily like oh my gosh, there was this huge thing I learned, but more like these things that almost like smack you in the face as you're going along, um, where, you know, you're just like, oh, you know, I guess I do need to have an HR handbook or, oh, you know, I guess it is worth my time to hire a bookkeeper because my skills certainly do not revolve around numbers and, you know, doing my books. Um, so those little things that sometimes you need someone along the way to also push you and say, yeah, and, you know, you should do that or go for that or, you know, give that a shot. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think bigger picture, it was all, it was all in good time that it happened the way it did too, because I don't think, I, it's not like I look back and say, oh, I wish I would have started my business 10 years before I did because I wasn't ready to do that then either, um, which was kind of reflective in, um, I know one of your questions had been about earlier in my career and, you know, had I been responsible for helping to drive revenue and um, I was at a, a PR firm based in St. Louis for five years. And one of my, as I, when I moved back um, to, to Oregon, I continued working for that firm 
And I was kind of working at helping to establish a West Coast presence for them. But I was not good at it because I did not like networking. I I still don't. Um, But I didn't like it. I didn't feel comfortable in what I was trying to sell. And so I wasn't good at it. Um, Now, you know, it's a core part of my day to day is business development and talking to prospective clients about what our team does and and the services we provide. And I feel completely comfortable doing that and excited to do that every time because I believe so strongly in, in this firm and our team, and I know exactly what we can do. But, you know, 10 years prior or even probably five years prior, I wouldn't have been in the same mindset to be able to do that successfully. So I think that it definitely was a blessing in disguise that we went through the economic situation in 2009. And, um, you know, that, that was a forcing function to get me to where we are now. Yeah. I think that's such an encouraging story because I mean, you could have embraced how unfair it was to be eight months pregnant and to be part of a downsizing. And instead you viewed it as probably it was still disappointing and scary and upsetting, but at the same time, (laughs) there was a, resilience there that is being well, well rewarded today. And so presumably there could be people listening to this podcast that find themselves in a challenging moment and in in an environment that they wouldn't have chosen for themselves. And so they certainly can't control coronavirus or the economy or what's going on within their business and or their customers' businesses, but certainly they get to choose how they respond to it. And I just think that's really encouraging because March of 2009 was not a great time to probably start a business. It was a great time to invest in stocks. Yeah, it was the bottom of the stock market, you know, it's beginning of the rally. <laughs> well, I guess tell me a little bit about kind of this learning journey then, because presumably you didn't write this master business plan that envisioned exactly what Award Smith is today or what it's become. I guess in that moment that you started it versus what it is today, what are some of the differences of the services that you work or provide today and the companies that you work with today? And maybe what was that process of kind of iteratively growing your organization? Yeah, well, the even even the whole notion of thought leadership, which like at the beginning when I said that's really where we specialize, but that was not top of mind for me when we when I first started this. Um, Again, my background was in like very traditional PR. So I was, you know, focused on that Um, and ended up working with um, a, a company here in town. Um, Acme Business Consulting. They are no longer Acme, but they were one of our first clients. And um, our main point of contact over there, she was really the person who brought that whole idea of thought leadership to the table. And, um, you know, the, the consultants over at Acme, they were wanting to be seen as experts and be seen as these people who um, had great ideas and they wanted to be published and they wanted to be speaking. Um, and, you know, we found ourselves doing that sort of program for them, having success. And, you know, then I was realizing, hey, this is an idea that can be applied to different types of industries. So while it's especially great for professional services and perhaps maybe in the technology field, you could also be a retail business owner and be want to see, be want to be seen as an expert in your space. Or you could be a chef and you could want to be out there, you know, talking about, you know, your use of certain ingredients or cooking methods. And so we really embrace that. And certainly we still have clients who call and they say, hey, we want to hire you to do a 
a launch or um, a grand opening. And it maybe it's less around the thought leadership and more around traditional, like, hey, we want to get buzz for a certain um, event. But um, but that would just be an example of because I had business coaches early on who were, well, I had one particular business coach at the small business development center who was really big on saying, and you have to have a niche. And I didn't know what I wanted that niche to be. I didn't want to focus on just one particular client industry. Um, when I had started out my career, I was at, um, Weber Group, and then it became Weber Shanwick, and we were just the high-tech office. And then the firm in St. Louis, we were a generalist firm, and I really enjoyed that. So I was following in that same model with my firm, but at the same time, yeah, having someone say, well, where do you specialize? Um, And so, you know, when that thought leadership piece kind of rose to the top, I was like, okay, we can hang our hat on this and still be true to serving lots of different types of organizations and doing a lot of different types of communication programs for them. That's powerful. Absolutely. Uh, Spot on. So I want to kind of circle back to how you started the business and in that moment. So you'd said you already had a daughter, you had a second daughter that was almost on the way, you're married. And so along the way, the business has, has had obviously all kinds of demands on your time and attention. You're a mom and a wife. And, and so I guess talk to me a little bit about how you've been able to effectively you know, manage these competing priorities? Because at the end of the day, though the responsibilities continue to grow, you still only got 24 hours in a day. And so, I mean, what are some of the tactics that you lean on today to create kind of the clarity necessary to say no to good things so that you can say yes to great things? Yeah, I mean, I I hope that um, my family feels like I've been able to strike a good work-life balance. I honestly feel so fortunate to have my own business because I feel like I am able to keep the guardrails on some of those time commitments um, because it's under my control at least. Now, of course, the the flip side is you're always kind of, you're always working, you're always on, it's your business. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm so fortunate, I feel to be able to, um, you know, just, just be like that master of my own domain. That's my favorite part of having my own business. It also means that like, in times like we're in right now, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of um, anxiety, a lot of stress, but, you know, it's also like, okay, you know, just, we have to dig in and and think about how we're going to get through this. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, my husband, his, his job, he's always worked in corporate America. So he's always kind of had the, the, this pressure sort of job. And um, so I've, I feel like we've been able to strike a good balance and that me having my own um, business has been helpful in that. Um, it was also when I first started hiring members of my team, um, the way that I was able to successfully do that was I hired, I was hiring people in a part-time capacity. All of them were women. That was not because I was only wanting to hire women, but that was just the nature that I was able to find these people who had really solid communication careers, who had stepped away to have kids, who were wanting to get back into it. They didn't want to work full time. They didn't care about having um, fancy benefits. They had those through a partner um, and they were really excellent at what they did. And so I was able to scale the business in a way that I felt really good about because I felt like, oh, hey, like we're this really smart team. And then also like, you know, 
I don't know. It just seemed unique. I was surprised it was so unique. I, I would talk to other businesses and um, I go to a conference every year, which is just a bunch of agency owners. And it always, it seemed unique that that was the makeup of my team, but it was also so natural for me. And it was able to scale the business in a way that, um, that was manageable financially. Now, over the years, that has really shifted because now we're much more collaborative. And back then, we were a little bit more siloed. Everyone was, you know, really owning their clients and their work. Now, we're much more collaborative, working in teams. We have, you know, people on the, on the, on the team who are of different ages and everyone's working full time. But, you know, if I think back to then, it's like, okay, that was way for both me and the business, I think, to naturally scale and not, it wasn't like I was just jumping into the fire and, you know, my own personal commitments as well. I want to circle back on a comment you made about there's so many perks to running your own business, but it's not free, right? There's the burden and stress of trying to make it all work. And at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. So as you've learned how to manage through stress and how you're wired, I've been told that you're an avid burn cycle participant. True? (laughs) This is true. True, true. (laughs) So you go find the bike and go crush some miles on the bike. Obviously, presumably that is a little bit disrupted, at least going to the studio. But if you can't give what you don't have, I guess, where do you find renewal emotionally, intellectually, and physically so that you show up the best version of you to your family, to your clients, and to your team? Oh my gosh. Well, honestly, the spin studio is, is like that place for me. It's true. I, um, I've been going to that Lake Oswego burn studio since they opened. I think it's been four and a half years or something now. Um, but like truly that's, that's like my version of church where I'm in there and it's dark and I'm sweating and I'm able to just truly like get the, the stress and the emotions out. I've, you know, pretty much done everything on that bike, crying, laughing, you know, yelling, but, and and you really are part of this community. But for me, that's just been a huge way to be able to stay, um, to be able to stay centered. And um, yeah, it's, it's way more than just a workout. It's been definitely like a mental thing. Um, so yeah, I, I try to do that nowadays. That's a little harder. Um, I have had to invest in a Peloton just to try to keep my sanity going while we're in the quarantine. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Peloton instructor? Well, so far, I would say Robin. She's Robin. the one that I've uh, Robin Arzon, I believe. Yes. Yes. I'm new to the Peloton community, but enjoying having the opportunity <laughs> to go efficiently jump in, challenge myself, but just get all of that out kind of clears the head. And so it's been a wonderful yes. part of the daily ritual of making sure that I'm physically and emotionally as strong as I can be for kind of the constituents in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So, but beyond that, I mean, I have gotten a lot of value out of being part of different groups. So I mentioned the, um, the organization through PRSA, which is the Public Relations Society of America, but they have a counselor's academy, which is um, just agency owners and senior leaders. And we have a conference every spring, which um, obviously isn't happening in 2020, but we're also really connected through a Facebook group and um, regular consortiums. And even right now we're doing just like informal Zoom happy hours on Friday. And, you know, these are agency owners all over um, the 
the country and even, you know, Canada, but um, that feels good, you know, just to feel connected to other people who are going through some of the same things. And then, you know, obviously I really respond to just other agent or not even agency owners, but other business owners locally who I respect, um, you know, people like Jesse Dooley who owns Burn Cycle, but people who have become friends, but who I also really look up to and admire. And, um, you know, I feel like at times like now, but, but even when things are more normal, like being able to have those sorts of connections has really helped keep me grounded and keep me moving forward too. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That beyond absolutely. The sweating at- <laughs> it's important because sometimes self-care isn't selfish, you know, and it's important that we figure out how we're re-energized. And as a, a leader within your family and a leader within your organization, that's important. I personally have invested in a life replenishment plan, essentially kind of what are the daily, weekly, mm-hmm. monthly activities that allow me to show up well for my family and for my kids, my team, my clients. And so that's some physical activity. That's the right amount of sleep. It's consuming the right amount of content, scheduling the right conversations, right? So that people that challenge your thinking. And then Mm -hmm. for me, the world seems so noisy that a little bit of solitude and stillness is really important. And so creating that rhythm because it doesn't create itself. So if you're listening and kind of feeling a little bit stressed or burdened, that life replenishment plan, I think, would be time well spent. So shifting gears here on you a little bit. So I know that you've spent a significant amount of time in the technology industry and work with a lot of tech companies here in town. So I'm not sure if in any of that work you've ever encountered Clayton Christensen, but he's written a lot about disruption. He's big within the tech and startup scene, kind of innovator's dilemma. But interestingly, one of the books that he wrote was a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? And he was writing the book after he saw a bunch of his Harvard Business School classmates go on to lead powerful organizations, become incredibly affluent, but then end up out of shape, broken marriages, strained relationships Mm. with kids. And so though they'd been very professionally and financially successful, he was asking the question if they've been successful as people, because maybe they didn't manage all these competing priorities well. So I'm going to ask you the really difficult question. If we were to bump into one another in 2040, and I asked you if you were professionally successful, if Award Smith was successful, that's a pretty loaded question, but entertain us, I guess. How would one think about success if you had to measure it today? What's that look like for you? Well, I think I, I kind of think of that as a two-part question. First of all, 2040, it does feel very, very far away. Um, I literally have a post-it note on my computer monitor that says one year from now, what kind of leader do I want to be remembered as? Um, because I, I'm so focused on just the current scenario and, and like showing up right for my family, my girls, my team. Um, yeah. So how do I want to be even remembered one year from now? How I think it'll be so interesting to look back, um, you know, next spring and, and kind of think, oh my gosh, you know, remember a year ago, Um, And I hope that, yeah, I I hope that I can be thought of in a way that is favorable and like, okay, you know, and saw us through that. Um, In 2040, if you were to ask me, um, gosh, you know, I I feel like the most important thing, honestly, in my life is my kids. And Mm -hmm. like, I feel like if I can raise them to turn out okay and to be successful, kind, um, you know, hardworking humans, then then I will have, you know, done okay. Well, I've got three kids. The older two are daughters. And, you know, I think that you're doing it well. 
you're modeling it well, right? You're showing your kids the duality of who you are, right? You're a wife and you're a mother and you're a business leader and you're a friend and a daughter and and you wear all of those identities well and you're prospering in all those roles. And so kudos, job well done. Well done. <laughs> you know, some days, some hours better than others, but we're all doing the best we can. I have to keep reminding ourselves of that too. Amen. Yes, at least the journey is not <laughs> linear for me. So what started as kind of a, an unexpected surprise in 2009, A-Word Smith was launched, and now the team has grown and the type of opportunities that you're invited into continue to expand and the type of companies and the size of the engagements that you're able to serve continues to grow. So uh, I guess presumably a byproduct of success is, is profits and opportunity. I guess, how is your relationship with wealth changed as you're continuing to steward this organization and it's been successful as it solves client problems? I mean, you know, I've always just, like, obviously money is super important and, you know, we all are working for that level of success, but I've never been super, I've never been wrapped up in the money. I've never been focused on, you know, oh, this is what's in the bank account. This is what's on the paycheck. Um, That to me, maybe that's probably just goes back to how I was raised that. I mean, I grew up, my family owns a large cattle ranch in, in Southern Oregon. And so, you know, I grew up on the back of a horse and out irrigating with my dad. And um, they also have a a guest resort on the property. So I was waiting tables and learning how to make my own money starting, you know, when I was in middle school. Um, So I always appreciated hard work and I also appreciated what money could, could help me have, you know, even as a Mm -hmm. teenager. Um, Mm -hmm. I've never like, it's, it's not like some, it's not like a consuming thing for me. Um, so, you know, I'm very, I feel fortunate that my family that we're able to, um, you know, go on a a vacation each spring break and that we're able to give our girls opportunity. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely not the end all be all for me. Um, I will say that I've, I've definitely gotten much smarter and it's been, it's been just like interesting. And I would say rewarding too, to learn about just business operations and, you know, the focus on profit versus revenues and, or the differences and trying to help my team understand the differences. And, you know, we set each year, here's our revenue goal. Here's our profit goal. Um, um, If we meet these certain things, then that means, you know, that means we all get to enjoy in that success as a profit sharing and um, helping, trying to help people understand kind of the the whys behind some of those decisions too. And, you know, coming up with, yeah, goals and, and standards and thresholds for the business. So, but I'm always learning on that. Math is certainly not my, uh, <laughs> not where, not my strong suit. So I'm really proud of myself for anything related to me successfully managing numbers. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I know a lot of people that are pretty good with numbers, and I can't think of very many that hold themselves out as PR experts. So I guess we all have different okay, strengths. Okay, so there we go. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, stronger together. Another nod to the importance of collaboration, I guess. So sometimes when we're talking about money as a resource, it's a loaded topic because it's so emotional for different people. It represents different things to different people. So sometimes to create a little more clarity, we'll force the distribution that money is a resource that will buy you things, experiences, and impact. 
And in my research on you, you seem to be really engaged with various causes within the community. And so impact is important to you. And so I just wanted to ask, kind of, what are some of the causes? What's some of the change that you're most passionate about being a part of today? And I guess, how did you find those causes? Yeah, um, I've, I have. I've had the opportunity to serve on a number of different boards. Um, we also give a lot of uh, pro bono time away at the firm. Um, I think most of my focuses have have really evolved from my own from my girls and um, so I am really passionate about organizations that are supporting the um, supporting opportunities for young um, for young girls for women um, so yeah I've been on the board of girls on the run um, we have an ongoing partnership with girls Inc um, but then there's also just been organizations that have been important to our family. So um, Willowbrook Arts Camp is based in Tualatin, and it's a six-week um, summer program that runs. And my girls started going there, I think, when they were like six and three or something like that. So, I mean, it's been a, a big part of their summer for a long time. The, the announcement just came out this morning that they're not going to be able to open this summer, which is, you know, so sad. But um, I remember when my oldest daughter, who's very, like, she loves art, and she was immediately kind of drawn to the experiences that she was having there at Willowbrook. And it was so powerful for me that I thought, I, I have to find ways to stay involved or be involved with this organization so that I can do whatever I can to make sure that it sticks around. So, um, so yeah, I served on the board for a number of years. I was the, the president for a while. And same with um, Opal Creek Ancient Forest. Um, that is a place that our family loves and goes every summer. And um, so it's kind of like you have this natural experience in your life and then you're like, okay, we love this so much. Like, how can I give of my time or my resources um, to make sure that it sticks around and um, other people can also experience, have the same experience that we are having. So that's awesome. It's important to redeem kind of your talents and treasure to positively impact the community. I think you're doing a good job there. I'm hoping even even now, like I know that um, just just this week, I saw that Oregon Entrepreneurs Network, which, um, you know, I know that they're dealing with some different challenges and they sent out a, a call for some different pro bono services and PR was one. And, you know, I, I responded back saying, you know, please let me know how we could help. I mean, we have um, we have capacity on our team. So it's, you know, especially during this time where um, there are, you know, everyone's facing their, their different challenges. And I, you know, I'm like, hey, yes, like I'm an, I'm an entrepreneur in Oregon too. Um, it's a direct correlation. So if our team can support an organization like that during a time like this, then that feels like a win-win for all involved. Absolutely. I've seen a model for kind of purposeful profits or conscientious capitalism, you know, and, and it's the the intersection of need, passion, and opportunity. And that's what you're doing there with that OEN investment. It's a need, it's a yeah. passion, and it's an unmet opportunity. And that's awesome. It's cool that your team gets an opportunity to be part of that. It is. It's great. I mean, I love a lot of the times the different pro bono um, projects that we take on at the firm. It gives um, junior members of our team the opportunity to lead programs or projects that they might not normally have the opportunity to do and really grow in their career. Um, and at the same time, you know, the, the organization is is able to get a service they wouldn't normally be able to. So it's good. That's a win-win. 
I guess as we kind of wrap up the conversation today, you know, here we are kind of still in this coronavirus, social distancing, trying to feel out what this new normal could look like and when it might somewhat return. It's provoking all kinds of really high stakes conversations. And as a boutique communication specialty firm, you might have some insights there. And so I guess if you're a business owner and you're sitting here trying to be both the conductor of the hope train and at the same time, the truth teller that's conveying the need for urgency and focus, are those mutually exclusive? How can you be somebody that's talking about the future and the reason to believe that tomorrow could be better than today, but telling the truth of where we are at this moment? It's a really good question. And it's definitely something that I'm thinking about and and trying to balance myself as well. But I would say just try to come back to being authentic. Um, people can tell if you're not. They can tell if you're trying to be overly optimistic um, or at the same time, if your leadership style isn't normally, you know, super hard hitting and direct. And then you try to lead with that. that that's probably also going to be fairly jarring and maybe not super well received. So I think, you know, leading with some, with your heart and your gut, um, cause there's no blueprint for us all to follow, um, at this time. So I think we do just have to, you have to try to maintain a sense of optimism, but at the same time, be realistic. And we don't want to, um, give, you know, we don't want to say something that then we have to go back on a few days later. That is not the goal. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tough. It's definitely a matter of striking that balance. Um, a few weeks ago, we made the decision, um, that we really wanted to have. And I really just was, I found myself as I was scrolling through social media, I was really responding to anything that was kind of a, a sense of uh, a source of opt optimism or even like colors that seemed just happier. Um, and so, you know, we talked as a team and and we're putting out even just on a weekly basis, just a quote and my Chris on my team who handles all of our design, you know, doing something in a way that hopefully gives off a little bit of optimism. Um, at the same time, you know, we know that we have to keep doing excellent work for our clients, be seen as a good partner now more than ever and continue to, you know, get them the results and and do everything we can because we are definitely all in this boat together right now. In maybe January or February, so not that long ago, most businesses were kind of at an apex. You know, most businesses were really prospering and had just enjoyed maybe a record year in 2019. And and all of a sudden, again, without a whole lot of warning, we find ourselves in a very different moment with a lot more uncertainty, certainly a lot more fear. Does anything change mm -hmm. from a communication strategy perspective when you go from a moment of abundance to a moment of maybe crisis, or is it unchanged? I guess as a communication strategist, have you have strategies changed at all as the world around us has? Well, I mean, from a PR standpoint, yes, definitely, because we really have to to think about the stories that we're trying to tell. We don't want to seem tone deaf. You can't be going out um, to members of the media just, you know, pitching a story that we may have been planning on pitching back in January or February that now would be, you know, maybe at its best ignored, at its worst seen as something that was, yeah, just not um, not being aware. So um, we're definitely telling our clients that fortunately for us, that I mean, thought leadership is more important than ever. If you have um, 
you know, if you have insight, opinions, tips that could be seen as valuable to people right now, then this is not a time to hold back on sharing those to, you know, not be, not be shy about that. Um, you know, also just thinking about your social media strategy, um, making sure that anything you're putting out there, you're, um, maybe in the past you would have been planning out your posts at the beginning of a month and even loading them into whatever um, platform you use to, you know, automatically have things post. Probably not a good idea to be doing that right now when things are so fluid and changing so often. Just, you know, schedule things like that on a more frequent basis and really, you know, kind of double check to make sure that what you're sharing um, is going to be um, received in the way that you're wanting it to um, and then obviously internal comms. Yeah, I mean, you need to be talking to your to your people um, for organizations, I'm sure, like like the lab. I mean, making sure that you have great um, client communications happening, that your clients feel really informed um, as far as, you know, what you all are doing or, you know, the indus- what the industry um, is facing right now, too. I've, I've definitely been on the receiving end of some communications like that, and I find it to be comforting when it's like, oh, okay, this is someone who, you know, I see as a partner, and they're communicating to me proactively, and I can tell they know what they're talking about, and that makes me feel good. Awesome. Well, I always love to end these things with kind of a resource share. So if I'm a business owner, and I want to know I want to explore this idea of thought leadership as a business strategy or marketing strategy or inbound marketing, how that might positively impact our organization, communication principles. What are some of the resources that you might turn a client on to that has an interest or curiosity in some of the topics that we covered today? Ooh, well, that's a good question. I mean, we always loved, if someone's interested in thought leadership, we always like to ask them, you know, who are the thought leaders that they admire? Um, and so if you're kind of going down that path, maybe just do that exercise for yourself, um, just to kind of get specific about what it is that gets you excited. Um, what are the types of stories that, um, you might want to tell, or what are the unique opinions that you really have that you're not afraid to put a stake in the ground around? Because you do need to be saying something different and, um, it doesn't have to be controversial, but you know, if it wants to start edging that way, then there could be a little bit of value in that too. But, you know, just to kind of get get honest with yourself about um you know what are you willing to go out and and have an opinion on and to um you know share those thoughts and then yeah I think figuring out like what resonates with you and why um and what who resonates with you and why then you know maybe there's elements of that that you can say oh okay this feels true to me because you want it to feel authentic to you you know we can't do thought leadership, we can't force thought leadership upon someone. So, um, you know, feeling really confident in your own skin um, is a good place to start. So it's probably taboo to take somebody's question that they just shared with you and then ask it to them, but I'm going to give it a shot. I love that question (laughs) of who are some thought leaders that influence you? So I like that. So, Anne, who are some of the thought leaders that have influenced you or, or that you enjoy reading or following these days? Oh my gosh. Um, well, let's see. I, um, I'm i a huge Shark Tank fan, so I really love listening to Barbara Corcoran. I think she's really um, smart, has a lot of great things to say. I also watch um, Damon. I, he has a every Monday and Tuesday right now, he's doing a um, Instagram live. And so I'm definitely in the habit of um, listening to him and kind of getting, trying to like glean some moments of inspiration for the 
for the week ahead and think about what are some of those elements that I can incorporate into my own leadership style. Um, I mentioned Jessie Dooley before who owns Burn Cycle. Um, I don't know if she is going to say, oh, and I'm a thought leader, but I definitely see her as someone who's created a really unique brand and something that I resonate with. And, you know, as in just even in the last, you know, number of years since I've gotten to know her and her company, I found ways that it's really kind of infiltrated into my style or brought that piece of me forward more. So, you know, I love that about people who can really um, tap into something inside of you and then embolden you to bring that out. Love it. Well, Ann Smith, thank you so much for our time today. We covered some awesome topics. And if ever there was a time where our communication needed to be early, often, and on target, it's now. And so thank you for the ideas that you shared and just kind of the experiences that led you to where you are today. We'll have to do it again.